What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Make sure you're giving us a follow over there. That's where you'll get all of our new updates to the draft guide, articles of any kind, podcasts, Every bit of baseball content we have will be shared out at Ethos Fantasy BB. Also, make sure you guys are checking out sportsethos.com. You'll get everything right from the source over there. We're going to talk about a couple of things that have gone down this week. We've been busy recording team previews uh, throughout the week. If you've missed them, then please do go back and check them out. We are going to be getting through all 30 teams before the regular season starts. We're about halfway there. This week, we've taken care of the Athletics, the Yankees, and the Seattle Mariners. Also, last week was the Colorado Rockies. So make sure you guys are checking out those team previews. But today, we are going to be talking about just some news from around the league. Some of it is more fantasy relevant than others. And honestly, there's not a hell of a lot still in terms of signings. I'm doing this show to get us kind of caught up and make sure we're not leaving anything too far behind. But I mean, damn, we're going to be in spring training in, what is it, like less than a month at this point. And we still don't know where a lot of the marquee free agents are signing. The reigning NL Cy Young winner, Blake Snell, has still not signed. Uh, You know, Cody Bellinger, Jordan Montgomery, Matt Chapman. It's really strange. It's really strange. But it it is what it is at this point. We are just dealing with the, the remainder of the news that we have available to us. And let's start off with Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw is going to be going back to the Los Angeles Dodgers. This one is not terribly surprising. I know there were some people who said, like, oh, he might go to the Rangers or somewhere else to to finish out his career. I was never really expecting it. I guess when you see a player spend their entire career in one jersey, it's very hard to actually picture them wearing another one, you know, until they actually do. And sometimes you see it, you know, there are examples across all the different sports. And we'll probably see it with Joey Votto, that he'll end up wearing a different jersey for the last year or two of his career. It's kind of weird. It's not something that you really want to think about until it actually happens. And with Kershaw, it's not going to happen. He's going to be a Dodger for the rest of his career, it looks like. Now, this contract, the ter- I didn't really see terms on it, to, to be honest with you. I, I don't know. I'm sure there are terms, um, but I'm not sure if they've been released publicly. It's a player option on top of a one-year deal, I think. But I also haven't seen any actual dollar figure attached to the Clayton Kershaw deal. Again, not that it really matters with the Dodgers. We know how deep the coffers are in Los Angeles. But he's going back. He is going to be a member of the Dodgers for 2024, and it looks like 2025 as well. Now, in terms of the fantasy value for this season of Clayton Kershaw, I don't think there's much. I remember when this news first broke at First Pitch Arizona, we were sitting in the big conference room, the big uh, the big ballroom, essentially, and they were talking about how Kershaw was going to be having a procedure on his, shirt, on his shoulder and that he was likely not going to be ready for this season. Now, beyond not being ready for this season, there were some people who said, no, he might not pitch at all this season. Like, we might have an entire year where there is no Kershaw. I've heard a couple of smart people say that kind of thing, and it makes me nervous because this type of injury is something where it's not something you can necessarily project and say it's definitely six weeks, it's definitely eight weeks. I have no idea how he is going to respond from this shoulder injury from this surgery and you know the initial report when this happened I just found the original article from November 3rd he quote-unquote hopes to pitch in 2024 so there's definitely some risk attached to Kershaw if you are taking him in a draft and hold which is a lot of the drafting that has gone on to this point have been draft and holds on the NFBC that's what I've done I've done seven drafts and they've been either 15 team or 12 team draft and holds actually one of them was not a draft and hold but regardless 
that, that's what most people are playing right now. And I don't even know if I could recommend taking him in a draft and hold because you have 50 rounds. Like you have some wiggle room if you wanted to take Kershaw. It's not like he's expensive this year. Uh, his ADP is 482. But those roster spots are pretty valuable, even on those draft and holds where you're thinking, okay, I got 50 players on the team. I can take Kershaw with one of them. You know, hypothetically, yes. But at the same time, 482 is is not cheap, cheap. Like, it is cheap. Don't get me wrong. Like, for most of you guys playing in your shallow leagues, you're going to think, what the hell is Joe talking about? Of course that's cheap. It's about round 31, 32 range in a 15-team league. And that's still a range where you're looking to secure, maybe not sure things, but guys where you really think that there is a potential for a lot of playing time, that could grow into a role throughout the season. With Kershaw, it's just a matter of if he's going to come back healthy and you could make the argument like he's worth it if he's healthy even for you know 10 starts at the end of the year he's going to be worth whatever this price is because whenever Kershaw is out there we haven't seen a bad Kershaw season in like what 15 years every year his ERA is going to be below two or not below two below three below 3.2 somewhere like that he's a 248 career ERA and we're talking over 2700 innings this past year 246 ERA now he's not Kershaw of old he is going to start to wear down a little bit, and we've seen that with the injuries over the last few years. I just don't know if I really want him on a draft-and-hold roster. At the same time, I can totally understand taking a chance on him. If he is able to come back midseason and you take Kershaw at pick 480, it's hard to think he's not going to meet that value. Um, but it is definitely a risk, considering some of the smart people I know who are, are more in tune with injuries than I am. They've said, well, we don't know if Kershaw is going to pitch at all this year. The fact that he said he hopes to, it's not... You know, it's better than him saying he doesn't think he will at all. But, you know, just the phrasing of, I hope to pitch this year, not I'll be back in the summer. It's just makes me a little bit nervous uh, to invest much at all in Clayton Kershaw this season. So he's generally going to be a pass for me. Again, I can understand taking a chance on him. He's just not somebody that I really want to be investing in so much. If it comes to the point of middle of the season and we see Kershaw's back, then you can aggressively bid on him. Then you can make a, a solid piece of your fab uh, allocate that towards Clayton Kershaw because well once he's back we know what he's going to do usually um, it might not be you know the same level of Kershaw anymore but if he comes back in August then I have no problem picking him up and throwing a lot of fab at him just drafting him on a team where I have to have him there the whole year is a little bit worrisome to me uh, we got a bit of an update on Shohei Otani he's rehabbing from his elbow injury he said he's very confident he'll be ready to serve as the Dodgers DH when they open the season uh, on March 20th in South Korea. This is kind of tricky, too, because most teams are starting the season about a week later. I think it's maybe 10 days later. So, you know, a lot of players, if they weren't playing for the Dodgers, are going to have a little bit more time to fully get ready for the season. Shohei is one of those guys where you would have really hoped that he would have that extra week or so to get ready for the season, just give him every bit of chance to get fully back to 100%. Whether he'll be 100% on opening day or not is still remains to be seen. But he expects, he says he's very confident that he'll be there uh, for their season opener. And that's something that you got you to gotta be positive about, right? We're only a little over a month away if he's projecting himself. And now, you know, players will say things sometimes. And sometimes you read more into it than you should. Sometimes you don't read enough into something. But I don't think Otani's going to go out there and lie at this point, right? I, I think if he wasn't going to be ready for the season, he would say he's not going to be ready for the season. There is no no reason at all to give fans or anybody false hope that he's going to be ready. So I'm going to assume he's going to be ready. Dave Roberts said he is going to be slotting into the third spot in the order. It's going to be Mookie leading off, Freddie Freeman second, and Shohei Otani third. That is going to be a ridiculous 
ridiculous lineup this season. But I think this gives me more security in taking Shohei Otani at the back end of the first round, or even as high as maybe pick 10 or 11, because, well, he is going to start the season, and that was a huge concern. Is Shohei Otani going to miss the first couple of weeks of the year? And if he does miss the first couple of weeks of the year, it's not only the production you're missing out on during those couple of weeks, which in a roto sense, it's probably a few home runs, a couple steals, whatever. But it's more so the fact that if he couldn't start the season, then you think, well, there's still you know, there's still a pretty serious injury there if he's not ready to go after this whole offseason. The fact that he's going to be ready out the gate, supposedly, uh, does give me more confidence to take him in the first. I have seen him slipping into the second round of some drafts recently, going at 17, going at pick 20. It's not what should be happening. Even as a DH only, Otani is stupidly valuable, whatever your format is, and he is worthy of a first-round pick. I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to return first round value. So and this is just kind of solidifies it. I was already kind of there. I wasn't really that worried about him. Now this just kind of makes it all the more certain for me that he is going to be uh, probably a first round player. I'd be very, very surprised if Shohei doesn't return first round value. Let's talk about Gary Sanchez a little bit. This one isn't the most exciting deal, but Gary Sanchez assigned a one-year contract for $7 million with the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, he's probably going to be serving as the backup most of the time to Contreras. There's not really much of a chance of him taking away that starting job there from him. I think he's fine as a reserve round catcher if you are talking about those deeper leagues. I don't want him in a starting role. I've drafted him once this year as my third catcher on one of those draft and hold teams. Just as a kind of insurance policy, if one of my other two guys gets hurt, I could slip in Gary Sanchez here and there. He's not ideal at this point of his career. I don't know that he ever really was ideal at this point of his career. He's not somebody that I think can really drive home too much fantasy value for you. If there is something that happens to William Contreras, then I could definitely see him having some value. And we saw it even last year. He hit 19 home runs over 72 games. The power is still very much there. He's just not going to have an opportunity to play very much. So I think that, you know, barring an injury, there's really not much hope uh, in a Gary Sanchez fantasy relevant season here. Are they going to DH him sometimes? Probably. Um, the projections have him, and I'm, I think these have been updated since he signed. They have him going from anywhere from 65 to 97 games, hitting anywhere from 13 to 16 homers, batting about 210, 215. It's nothing special, right? He is simply at this point of his career – somebody that you can kind of target in the reserve rounds as a third or potentially even a fourth catcher for your team because I just don't think that he's going to play enough where you could warrant starting him every single week, which is what you would probably need to do uh, if you are taking him as your as your second catcher, assuming that you're playing in a, in a two-catcher league. One-catcher league, there is, there's just no chance at all for Gary Sanchez, and even in a two-catcher league, I think we're probably pushing it a little bit there, thinking that there's going to be any kind of value. And I don't think a lot of people are expecting it, but just in case you're thinking, well, he's signed now, there's going to be, he's going to get TH at bats, he's going to platoon or whatever. Like, th there's just not a lot there with Gary Sanchez at this point. But let's talk about Jacob Junis. Jacob Junis also signed a deal with the Brewers, and I believe it's the exact same contract, one year, $7 million uh, for the Brewers. Jacob Junis is a really interesting name. The supporting metrics are usually really, really good for him. Now, he only threw 86 innings this past season. He is somebody who has worked as a starter in the past. This year, he was working a lot more out of the pen. Uh, only four starts, 40 total appearances. But the numbers are really good. 26.2% strikeout rate, 5.7 on the walk rate. When you're over 20% strikeout minus walk, you're, you're entering into the elite territory there. Even as a relief pitcher, and I know it's not the sexiest thing, Jacob Junis, but 20% strikeout rate is nothing to sneeze at. 
he's probably almost certainly going to get a shot in this rotation. There's really nothing left in this rotation at this point. There is no more Burns. There's no more Brandon Woodruff. We're looking at right now the projected rotation is Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley, Junis, Colin Ray, and D.L. Hall. Junis should not lack for opportunity. I think that there's a good chance that he's able to start 25 games this year for them. And if he's able to carry over even 80% of what we saw last year, you know, he's always been a guy who has good control. The walk rate has never in his career ever been above 7.5% in these last two years, 5.2 and 5.7. The strikeout rate over the last three years, 24, 21, 26. If he can maintain like a 23% strikeout rate with a 5%, 6% walk rate, I think that we're going to be looking at a pretty good season from him. And, you know, the last three years, his XFIP is 366, 367, 388. Uh, you know, I, I think he's really solid. The Sierras as well, 336, 330, uh, 378, and 390. I think that you can probably project about a four ERA from him with decent enough strikeout minus walk numbers that you can kind of make it work there. Again, um, he is not expensive. He's actually dirt cheap. 671 is his ADP. Now, as he is now in a position where he's going to have more starts available to him, you'll likely see that ADP push up to some degree. But when you're starting from a place of 671, how far up can you really go, right? Maybe he goes up to 600. And even if you're talking 600, like, you know, it's like round 50 in a 12-team league. It's, there's really nothing there to, to preclude you from drafting him. It's, if it's a 15-team league, it's like round 40, 41. I'm all in on him at this price. If he jumps up 200 picks, then we're going to have to reevaluate there. But at this point, a guy with opportunity, a guy who has a decent strikeout rate, good supporting metrics, I like him. I think that there's going to be a very good season incoming from Jacob Junis. Maybe not amazing, but certainly worth drafting where he's going at this incredibly depressed price. That'll do it. I know it's a shorter show today. Uh, we have a very long one coming up for you tomorrow, and also these other ones we've done this week have been quite long as well. But if you have missed out on the promotion I've done for it, if, if you have missed out on it, I've done a bad job promoting it tomorrow is Eno Saris and Nick Pollock Day. They are both joining us for episode 500. We're going to talk about some big differences in our starting pitcher rankings. By the time you guys are hearing this, it actually might have been released already, so go and check the feed. It'll also be a YouTube video available after the fact, but that one is a lot of fun. 500 episodes. Cannot believe we've hit 500. We're going to hit it tomorrow. If you guys have not already done so, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you get the shows right into your feed every single day. You don't have to go searching for links. It very much helps you, and it helps me out as well. And also, if you haven't done so already, leave a rating and review on the pod. It's another great way to help out the show. It doesn't cost you anything. It takes about 10 seconds, and it really helps us out over here. But that will do it. Again, make sure you check out tomorrow's show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you're checking it out. But until then, take care, everybody. We'll see you on Friday. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.